Good morning. We can go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I won't be starting right away, but you can go ahead and turn there. As uh, the goal of the message this morning is to look upon the beauty of Christ. Um, it's been a conviction for me lately that uh, Christ is very preeminent in the breaking of bread. And um, it is a desire uh, that I have in my heart to see him preeminent in every meeting and of every part of fellowship uh, when we get together. Um, because it is the thing that separates us from the lost. It is the thing that we can enjoy above all things that the lost just doesn't understand. And we pray that in the times that we gather together, when we are enjoying the Lord and dwelling in his presence and basking in the grace that has been showered upon us, that that is what will attract the lost. That is what they see and they realize that they don't have it. Um, it is the thing that the Spirit uses to convict um, the soul of an unbeliever. And also to look upon Christ and his beauty that we may be humbled. Um, and we may be reminded of the imperfection that we are, the sinners that we are, and the things that we continue to do, yet that his grace is sufficient that his grace has made provision for all of these um, rotten sinners that we are. Uh, it is a, quite an amazing thing that Christ uh, continues to love us. It is quite an amazing thing that he will never cast us out. And uh, to dwell upon those thoughts is to um, humble ourselves, and it makes it impossible for us to understand why anyone would reject Christ. Um, when we understand the forgiveness we have and the Savior that we have, it, it really doesn't make any sense why anyone would reject him. But we're going to look at a few things in his word and uh, an example of when the people came and um, rejected Christ. Uh, this is maybe a series of messages that I uh, take on. Originally, I was planning on doing them all in one, and it, it got a little ridiculous. Um, so it's just a matter of breaking it up. So there's going to be a little bit of an introduction and foundation laid, and Lord willing, um, it will continue. So go ahead in Romans 1, and we're going to start at verse 16, uh, a verse that probably I would imagine most of you have memorized. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And we see that in the book of Romans, the first three chapters, Paul goes into this um, explanation revelation of how every single person is guilty before God. And we often you know, quote the verse at the end of Romans uh, 3.23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And here Paul is beginning this um, discourse and preparing the way to show that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So sometimes we, we, we do um, miss out on that idea. And um, the fact that Romans reveals to everyone you know, this is speaking to someone that has no idea 
uh, who uh, God is through the law or through religion or anything like that. This is somebody that simply is out in creation, and all they have to witness of God is creation itself. And Paul is going through that they are still, uh, you know, condemned, that they are still deemed unrighteous people. And it'll continue on through chapter 2 to explain uh, someone who has a conscience, someone who is condemned by the conscience and they judge others. And they realize that as judging others, they have violated conscience because they have done those things that are against their conscience and how they are condemned through that. And it goes into religion and how people follow these different practices and try to do good things and try to follow a certain order. And it says that they too are condemned because nobody can keep the whole law. So we're just going to look at this first portion in chapter 1 to show us that, in a sense, where we fit. Um, I often tell the story that um, when I first was coming here, I was, I was lost. And Kathy would bring me out, and uh, I had, I think I've heard two brothers speak on this passage before. I think you guys were going through it on Sunday nights for a while. And um, this had come up, and I remember reading at the end all these, you know, terrible things, you know, from 29 to 32, and it's just like, these are awful, awful people. You know, these are terrible people. You know, I, I thank the Lord that I am not like those people. And... Um, the night I got saved, I had a brother pull me aside and say, would you like to go through uh, scripture? You know, and I said, yeah, of course. So that night, we uh, sat down and we prayed and we went through uh, the first chapter of Romans. And when I read it, it hit me that I was all of these things, that I was this awful, awful sinner. And until the lost gets to that point where that's, they see themselves as the sinner that Christ talks about as a sinner that God talks about in his word to see that we are deserving of hell. It's very hard to share the gospel with them because in a sense you're just kind of just telling them about the Lord and you know that's great and people have been saved from hearing about the, the goodness of the Lord but until they see that need that they are these awful sinners condemned already you know they don't have that um, nature to, to cry out unto God. Um, so we're going to keep going. Uh, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And here he's continuing with the descent of man. You know, we started at Adam, and it's been a downhill, uh, downhill road since, uh, until the Lord Jesus came, and then we saw what, uh, who God is. Um, but in, other than the Lord Jesus, it's been the descent of man, and society tries to tell you that the world is getting better and that we are getting better, and uh, the word tells us the exact opposite, that we are continuing to spiral down, downward and downward. And it's the idea, and um, there's another brother here going through the book of Romans, and we get a chance and opportunity to talk about it quite a bit uh, whenever we get together. And the thing that we're always fascinated with is uh, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Um, they have their own image of what God is supposed to be, and they have their own image, and they're comfortable with that. And when I see that, that thing that fits into my image of God, then I'm going to believe that. 
So we see a lot of people that, um, well, a lot of religions out there and a lot of cults out there that are thriving, and people keep coming and joining, and they have found that thing where that image of God that they have fits in that system, and they, they enjoy it, even though it's a lie. And they simply change, change it to the truth in their own minds, and um, they continue on that, that downward path. Um, so verse uh, 26, For this cause... God gave them up unto uh, vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And that's the kind of the point we're getting to, that it's, it's very hard to trust the Savior until you realize that you're deserving of death, and you deserve it. Um, I was watching a, uh, just a commercial this weekend for Memorial Day, and it was an advertisement for a uh, vacation, and it was, you deserve it. You know, and it was this beautiful place, and it was like, yeah, I do, man. That would be awesome. And then, uh, you know, another comes on, and it's like, uh, come out to Mercedes-Benz. You know, you deserve it, and it's the newest model. You know, come and check out all the new models that we have. You deserve it. It's like, amen. You know, let's, let's do it. And uh, all of a sudden, you realize uh, that is totally not the message that we see in Scripture. Uh, nowhere in Scripture do we see that we deserve uh, these wonderful things. Um, not that those things are terrible, but we understand that it is only by the grace of God that we are able to partake and enjoy these things. Um, we are deserving of hell and eternal separation from God, and it is only by his grace that we are brought unto God and uh, made righteous in his sight, that we are given the righteousness of Christ. Um, it is a, a beautiful picture. But to, to, I remember, too, I was watching, uh, my grandmother used to watch Oprah. That was like her thing, man. We'd come home from school, and Oprah would be on every day. And I, was, this was when she was retiring, I guess. And she gave a thing where the biggest thing that she was against was how people would see themselves as unworthy because everyone was worthy, and everyone deserved it and had this um, feeling that, that she was trying to empower people and that's what the world tries to do. Uh, the world tries to make you feel like, you know, you deserve all these things and you have a right to all these things and you should want and pursue all these things. And, you know, God gives us this passion, uh, passage in, in Romans to show us um, who we are truly, what we deserve. And it, when you understand this, it gives you that desire to cry out to God, well, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? And um, that's the point we were all at when we trusted Christ. You know, I'm going to go to hell, 
God, what am I going to do? And he presents to us Christ. Christ is the way. So this is the, uh, just this portion here I wanted to start on to show that um, where people need to be in order to trust Christ, where people need to see themselves before they're able to receive the gospel. Um, Robert made the comment on Monday Bible study at David's house when we were going through the book of Acts, and Peter gives his sermon uh, right after, on the day of Pentecost. And he's talking about, you know, repent and believe. And Robert makes the comment, nowhere in this passage did he tell them that Jesus loved them. Didn't have to. It's a matter of showing the people who they are and what they have done and what they are deserving of. That's what causes people to cry out unto, unto God for the truth. Um, so we have this image of, of who people are and what people change God into. So in order to understand who God is, we're going to go back to Exodus real quick. Uh, Exodus 3. Exodus 3, and we're going to start in verse 12. Exodus 3 and verse 12. And he said, certainly I will be with thee. Well, I'll tell you what's, you know, everyone knows what's going on, right? Nod your heads. Yeah. Moses is before the burning bush, and um, uh, God commissions Moses, and Moses says, you know, he's not, he can't do these things. And, um, you know, what am I going to do? And so God tells him, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto you all generations. So this is the picture of uh, how God presents himself to the people. I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the creator. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Um, God cannot be defined in a simple understanding. He is too great. He is too wonderful. And we've been going through Isaiah uh, chapter 9, and it's, you know, wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all the things that are used to describe the Lord at his coming, and they are all pictures of who God is. Um, but when he is going to present uh, to the children of Israel that he has come from God, he's afraid. Well, what if they ask me, and I, and I don't have an answer? And that's sometimes the question we have um, when we go out unto the lost, and we go to preach the gospel. Well, what if they ask me? How do I show forth Christ? How do I explain him to them? Um, you know, because we have a, a certain tendency now that people, people preach Christ in his teaching. Uh, people preach Christ in the way he lived his life as an example and for the morals that he stood for and how he loved people. Uh, those are all the things that other denominations and other groups and other, the lost people agree that Jesus was a very, very good man, and he taught very, very good things. Um, so what we're going to do, and this is an all-roundabout introduction to get to 
what I'm going to be speaking on this morning, and it's in, chapter, it's in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. So what we're going to look at this morning is how Christ presents himself to the people, uh, to the children of Israel, and what the children of Israel wanted from the Lord and what the Lord was willing to offer. And the fact that the children of Israel, although they wanted things much, much less than what Christ was willing to offer, um, they rejected him uh, because of it. And uh, the things that I've been looking at lately are the, um, he has certain I am statements. I am bread of life, light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, uh, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, the life, and the true vine. He has all these statements um, to show everyone who he is. And he tries to explain himself in a way that we can understand. And so I thought it would be a fruitful uh, thing to look upon all of these statements in their entirety. And so if you can imagine, I uh, first was going to attempt to do them all in, in one um, message. And uh, a very, very wise and dear brother said, uh, come on now, you know, think about that. I said, okay. So um, John chapter 6, uh, we all know uh, the story. We heard about it this, this weekend at the, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, so we see that he feeds the 5,000, and they are filled, and all the surplus and the abundance that is left over. And then we see that they are ready to make him king. They are ready to declare him king and, and to, to hail him as king because they want him to set up his kingdom. Uh, but Jesus goes away, and he goes up into the mountain to pray, and he, he kind of goes by himself in the wilderness to be with his father. Um, and we see uh, just the example that we have of the people were ready to make them what they wanted him to be. The people were ready in their hearts to accept the, the coming uh, Messiah as the Messiah they intended him to be, the one that would set up his kingdom and give them all these things and make them first and foremost amongst all nations. Uh, this was the Messiah they were after, but this was not the work that Christ came to do. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and start in uh, verse 26. It says, And Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do? that we might work the works of God. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And we'll go ahead and pause right there. So we have this picture. These people know the Old Testament stories. They know how God has provided 
And so what I did is I went back and I looked at all the times God had provided for the people um, with bread and had made provision. And I thought that this was the, the first one. And then I went back and uh, I saw that Joseph, you know, when he was brought down, sent down into Egypt, and he was given that dream and he was able to provide bread for the children of Jacob. And they were able to come down and God saved them by providing them bread. They came to God and God provided. Um, we have the manna in the wilderness. And I found it interesting. I never knew what manna meant. And I looked it up and it just says, what is it? Oh, what is it? It's all out there. Let's go get it. So that I just, little little factoid in case nobody else knew. I was probably the only one. But So we have, um, they provided bread in the wilderness. And then Ruth, the same thing. God had made provision for widows and things like that. When she was able to glean from Boaz, she trusted God. God provided bread. David and the showbread, he comes into the priests. The priests give him the bread that was meant for God. Um, and there's another example, Elijah. Elijah being in the, in the wilderness and going unto the widow, and God provided bread. And so we see all these times, and so these people come unto Christ, and Christ is able to feed the 5,000. So God gives me bread, Christ gives me bread. God's able to provide, Christ is able to provide abundantly. God and Christ, you know, there's something there. So we're going to come and listen to him in a sense that he's got a message for us. He is, you know, doing these miracles. And they came, in a sense, it says here, not because they did the, saw the miracles, but because they ate and they were full. And so they came for another meal. They wanted to eat. And Christ goes into this explanation of um, the work of God, that you believe on him whom he, whom he hath sent. And the children wanted another sign. Well, God gave us bread from heaven. What, what, what are you going to do? And he says, God gave you not that true bread from heaven. I am the true bread. Christ is the bread that came down from heaven that gives life to people. And he goes on to explain later that the, the children of Israel ate that manna and they're dead. You know, that bread did not sustain them. They eventually died. Christ is the only bread that came down from heaven that if we partake of, we will never die. And we will never hunger. We will never thirst. Um, again, at the time, maybe the people were thinking, yeah, well, I'm hungry now. Um, you know, what are you going to do for me now? And this doesn't quite fit with my image of what God is supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to make you king. You're supposed to go and set up your kingdom. And then you're supposed to get bread from everybody else and give it to us so that we can be foremost among the nations. That's, you know, they had a desire. They had an image of who God was. But we see that Christ and who, how he presented himself to the people, I am that true bread, they rejected him. And we see that uh, that's the case with the, uh, the lost today. And the sad thing about a lot of the lost today is they don't even have, um, many of them don't even have physical needs. You know, they have no need even to come unto Jesus to work a miracle. Um, it's only until they see themselves as deserving as hell do they begin to cry out. Uh, and that's the, the, why God gives people up to their um, wickedness, why he allows them part to participate in their uh, wicked deeds. But we see here the statement in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. They have to come, you have to believe. And that's pretty much uh, the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, come and believe. We're going to continue on. Um, verse uh, 36, uh, But I said unto you that you also have seen me, and believe not. 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So Christ continues his message. He continues his point to the people. And um, he still has a desire to show who he is and what he has come to do, that the people may believe on him. And we see that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And so a lot of, uh, we've all heard the saying that, well, you know, obviously the Father doesn't give all uh, people the ability to come to Christ. And that was the purpose of reading Romans uh, 1, to see that that's not true, that he has given him all things, and everyone has the knowledge of who God is, and everyone has the opportunity to be made right with God, and people choose not to. People choose not to go. And I think that's sometimes the... The, the harder uh, part of it. Uh, as you know, most of you know, my parents, um, my parents do not trust Christ for salvation. And it's hard because you have a desire to just get a hold of them and, and say, you know, I, you know and, and sometimes we'll talk and they'll get frustrated and say, you know, I don't know why, I don't know why you're frustrated. If the roles were reversed, you'd be doing the same thing to me. If, if I was going in a way that you knew ended in destruction, wouldn't you tell me? Yeah. And if I got mad at you, would, would that make any difference? Well, no. I said, so, you know, so, but it's that point of conviction that we wait for, that point where the light shines into their heart. And we sometimes forget how uh, amazing God is, that as God, he's the one that spoke and light shined out of the darkness. And uh, we are waiting for that time when our uh, loved ones and the people we come in contact with for God to shine that light into their hearts. And um, we will maybe one day get an idea somewhat of the power that is truly behind uh, God the Father shining that light into their hearts. But um, they don't have that, they don't have a desire. They, they, just, they just don't have a desire to, to see who Christ is and they don't have the the, um, they don't feel they have a need. But we continue to show forth the gospel. What we see is as more and more they reject him, all of a sudden the sayings become a little bit more difficult to take. And God does not exactly, he makes it simple for you maybe once, maybe twice, maybe a couple times. But all of a sudden as you get older, all of a sudden it gets harder and harder and harder. And I think of my own life in that way, that pattern. All of a sudden it seemed to make less and less sense. And um, Joe Reese gave a, a point on, uh, during the conference, and he said, you know, when people trust Christ, then they, it's just a liberty to go off and do whatever they want to do. And he made the point, well, if you trust Christ, you won't want to do those things. And that's a point Kathy uh, used to make to me all the time, and I used to look and say, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my entire life. I said, if I, if I, all these things that I want to do, all of a sudden I trust Christ, and I'm not going to do those things? Like, that makes no sense. And to me, it didn't. And, but we who trust Christ understand, out of love, we don't have a desire to, to do those things. 
we have a fleshly desire, but out of love we don't. And the other point that I just want to make this evening is we've had Christian liberty come up a little bit uh, in different conversations. And I go back to Romans 1 and think of, oh, you know, because, I have, because I'm in Christ, I have liberty to participate in these things. And I think, no, because you're in Christ, you have liberty to not participate in these things. That's what you were, and God has made you new. Now you don't have to do those things anymore. You don't have to go back to who you were. You don't have to go back to being that vile, wretched sinner. You can work the works of God by believing on him whom he hath sent, and that is Christ. And that is really the, the point to get behind, that we are to display Christ is the one who can satisfy all your needs. He will take care of you. Because even at that time, maybe you're hungry, maybe you're out of work, maybe you're in a relationship and it's not going so well. Whatever your situation is, you can turn to God and he will satisfy. He will let you know that he has, his grace is sufficient and that there's no more need for Christ to come and to do any more works here, but that his grace is sufficient for you. Um, if we could uh, continue in verse 41. <clears throat> After he says all these things about uh, he will give life and he will raise them up, the Jews say, then murmur in him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. And again, he brings it forward. I am that bread of life. You have to come. You have to partake of me. And again, we see that the, the children of Israel are just making up now more things. Well, this is just, isn't he the son of Joseph? And uh, the interesting thing is, no, he's not. But, you know what I mean, that's what they thought. You know, isn't he the son of Joseph? He wasn't the son of Joseph. He's the son born of Mary, but he was not the son of Joseph. Um, so we see all these uh, things that take place and the, the reasons that people come up with. And again, we have... In verse 44, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then he continues, well, the same question that would pop into people's heads, well, what if God doesn't draw me unto? It says, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And so we see that all that have learned have to come unto Christ. And then they make a choice. Either they believe or they don't believe. And sometimes we make it a little bit more complicated than that, but that's really the answer. Do we believe Christ is who he said he is? And we see that he is the bread of life, the one that is able to um, give everlasting life, the one who will raise us up at the last day, the one who's able to accomplish all the mighty works um, of the Father. And we see that earlier they came to him wanting bread in the, in the wilderness, and he was able to provide and then he goes away, and we see them again coming. Okay, do what you did yesterday. That was fantastic. You know, I really, I was satisfied with that bread. Uh, if I could have that again, I'd be, I'd be doing pretty good. And um, he offers himself. 
a, a far superior, the greatest gift we will ever know. He offers himself. And I say, well, eh, no, that's not, what, that's not what we came for. So we see at the beginning of the, this whole chapter, we have people coming, seeking Christ. They come, they want to know. They come, they want to talk. They come, they want to see him work these mighty works. And then he offers himself the greatest gift. And they're like, no, that's not what we came for. Um, and it's discouraging. It's discouraging when you see somebody that's interested, somebody that's asking questions, and then at the end you realize it's all on an intellectual basis. And it's like, well, I just want to know so I can know and so I can be much more wise. And we see that verse, you know, they, they sought to be wise and they became fools um, because they didn't realize what they were being offered. So we'll continue. At verse, verse 49. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard, had heard this said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And so we see again the picture that, uh, God get, or that Christ gives the people that this isn't the, the manna in the wilderness. Okay, We need to get off that track. Um, you need to cut, stop waiting for, for manna in the wilderness. Um, God has already done that work. He's already brought you out of, out of Egypt. And sometimes... I go back to think about my own personal walk after getting saved. And it's that idea that, you know, uh, the, the Egypt and, and um, Pharaoh is a picture of Satan and the world. And we see that God has brought them out. And while he's brought them out before they, um, you know, die to themselves, they're in the wilderness and God is providing for them. Um, but once he's brought them out of the wilderness, there's no more manna that rains down from, from heaven. There's no more need for that provision to take place. God has brought them into the land that they may work the land and partake of, of the things that he's provided in that way. And sometimes in our Christian walk, there's certain things that God gives us for a certain period of time, and then we need to keep going. We need to get into, we need to seek further the things that are of God. You know, it's not to, um, you know, if, if they were told, you know, you could spend the rest of your life here in the wilderness wandering around, or you can go into the land flowing with milk and honey, I'm sure in their minds they would say, well, we want to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. And yet these people have the Savior, God himself, incarnate, in person, presenting himself to them, and they're like, no, we want to go back to the wilderness and have manna. We want to see that. And it's like, you, you know, sometimes you're blinded by your own image of what God should do and how he should do it. We often hear uh, some of the speakers that come, and they talk about their prayer lives, and they say, you know, when I realized that uh, God didn't need my counsel and how to go about things, all of a sudden uh, 
my prayers made more sense and God started working. And, you know, when, and Scott DeGroff always says the one where he says that, uh, you know, now that uh, me and God are together, man, we could do great things. God can just come alongside and, you know, I'll tell him how to go, do about it. Man, could you think of the things that we could do? And it's that image of, well, God's going to do those things if you make yourself available, but you just need to be willing to do what he has commanded. And sometimes it's completely different from the image that we have of ourselves doing what we're doing. Um, but so, again, it's just, you know, we have a picture that uh, it gets a little bit more complicated for the children of Israel to understand what Christ is saying. And Christ doesn't make it easier. He's actually getting to where it's actually a little bit harder to understand. You have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That's, you know, we know that that's not the true case because we see in the, in the law that they weren't supposed to, you know, taste of any blood. And, um, you know, it would defile them. And he goes on to explain that the things that which I speak of are spirit. You know, the, the, don't think of the, the, the fleshly things because they profiteth nothing. You know, this, the words that I speak you are words of the spirit. Eat of me and you'll have everlasting life. Um, but we see that sometimes we try to, I think, I think it was Joe that said, trick somebody into salvation. And all we can do is simply present them who they are and their position, the gospel, who Christ is, and then they simply have to make a choice. And um, it's to the point now with my parents where it's, you have to understand that it is their choice. And there's nothing more that I can do. I can't wrestle them into uh, submission. I can't trick them into it. It's a matter of um, knowing that either way I will stand before Christ at the judgment seat and, and say hallelujah. And I'll know everything was perfect. And that is a hard thing to understand. And it's a hard thing for the world to understand. If God is good, how could he send people to hell? And what people don't realize is uh, because the people are evil and they deserve hell. That's the answer. Um, the, people, the only thing that people deserve is hell. And God is so gracious and so good that he's provided an escape. And if you believe on him, he'll give you everlasting life. If you don't, then you're destined to die in your sins. And to understand that we will say hallelujah because we will know how much God was working in those people's lives to show him the light of the gospel. To show them the light that Christ came and is sufficient. And the fact that they simply rejected. Um, and to remember for us that this is the master that we serve. He is our Lord and he is our Savior. And if, if we are not depicting our lives to the lost in that manner, in his character and in his love... That, he, that Christ is able, you know, if, if we're busy, you know, complaining or griping or murmuring or, you know, gossiping, all these things that take place that we do, that I do, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm probably the worst um, when it comes to murmuring and complaining, but all these things that we do, sometimes we forget that that's the image of Christ that we're slandering, dragging his name through the mud. No wonder it is that people... Um, don't believe that Christ can do what he can do. And, you know, I've been with Kathy sometimes, and we're sitting together and, you know, waiting to eat or something, and someone will walk up and say, are you a Christian? And yeah, I am too. Why didn't you ask me if I was a Christian? You know, what, me, what is it about Kathy that you don't see in me? All of a sudden it becomes like this, well, okay, what does that mean? And just simply in the, in the, in the vibe that we give off and the attitude we have, um, 
can be, can be in service for, for Christ and to remember that our lives should show forth that way in a sense to humble other people. Um, we are to live our life as redeemed people, as being partakers of the righteousness of Christ to do the works of God that others may see that they are not like us. And then when they come and they ask us, well, why are you the way you are? You can say, because I was this way, and Christ has made me new, and he can do the same for you. Well, how can he do the same for you? Because he is that living bread. He is the bread of life. If you come unto him and you partake of that bread, you will live forever with him. It's, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's a miraculous thing that, that Christ is so willing. Uh, but we'll continue. Uh, verse uh, 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. And that's really the, the big thing. There may be somebody here that does not believe. It's verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. There may be people in here, I don't know, that don't believe Christ is sufficient, that don't believe his work on the cross is enough to satisfy the wrath of God, that there is something um, much more special about them that makes them different than all of us, those that have trusted Christ that there is something so much greater that God would never send a person like them to hell. And the point of this whole presentation is to show forth that that is exactly what we were all deserving of. We were all deserving to go to hell. But the beauty of Christ shown forth that he is the bread of life. And he came down from heaven, offered himself up, and he had ascended back up to heaven. And he is seated at the right hand. But he's still sustaining us. He's still holding us. We cannot be taken away. You know, I've, I love that picture of, of he holds him in the hand and no one can pluck him out and then his father holds him in the hand and he's greater than I and no one can take him out of his hand. I mean, that's a, a, it's an amazing comfort that we have. And if there's someone that doesn't have that comfort, doesn't have that knowledge, you've you got to come. That's one thing. You've got to ask. But you've got to believe. You make a choice. And all it is is a choice. I'm going to trust that Christ is who he says he is. So um, continue to pray for me. There's going to be uh, maybe perhaps this, this may continue um, through the rest of the I am statements of John. Uh, if it does, then we'll be taking I am the light of the world probably next. If the Lord leads in another way, uh, then we'll be going another way as the Lord leads. So continue to pray for, for his uh, leading. But the reason I was uh, attracted to John so much and... Uh, there was so much that came flowing out of all these um, statements is, you know, John is the only one that presents Christ as an uh, eternal son. Um, we see that in Matthew and Mark, uh, the gospel writers proclaim him as son at the baptism. When he's baptized, you know, the clouds part, and God says, this is my beloved son. In Luke, we see that he's declared it at his birth, you know, the perfect man, humanity of Christ. And we see that it's at his birth the angels are proclaiming and the shepherds are singing um, all these great things that he is the Son of God. And in John we see that it was in the beginning. 
in the beginning was the Word. And this is the difference that we have with the lost. Uh, we see Christ as the eternal Son. He is the one that created. He is the one that has redeemed. He is the one that can save to the uttermost. Um, he's not simply a teacher and a way of life and how we should act. Um, he is the life. And so may we live in light of that. Um, and we, may we take of that bread uh, daily. That as we take of that bread daily, we may show forth Christ, that we may glorify his name. Uh, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity we have had to remember uh, your Son, our Savior, that he is that bread of life, Father, that he came down from heaven, that he is able to, to satisfy to our need of a Savior, to satisfy the wrath of an almighty God. Father, we see that the wrath that was due to us has been poured out on him. We ask that if there is any here that has not uh, been born again, has not trusted Christ, does not believe he is who he says he is, Father, we know that they are pricked in their heart, but we pray that they uh, humble themselves enough to come and to ask, to seek with all their heart how they can know for sure that they are saved and going to heaven to be with him throughout all eternity. We are so thankful for the picture of your son in the Gospel of John and throughout all of Scripture. And Father, we pray that we may live our lives in the light of this knowledge that we can display the perfect character and humanity and life of Christ in our daily walk. We ask that we continue to come to you for the daily bread, that we remember the, the joy in serving such a Savior. We pray also for uh, the night meeting tonight. We pray for our brother David Dixon, Jr., that uh, you prepare him, minister unto him, that he may bring us your word, that we may uh, be lifted up even more this day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.